This episode of Your Stories is brought to you by Max Existentialism, a monthly zine about philosophy, design, humor, and social insects, available for $3 a month. You can subscribe at maxistentialism.com. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hi everybody, my name is Eric Garnell, and this is part one of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories June 2015 podcast, featuring the theme Sound Idea. Our special guests this month hail from the Chicago Podcast Co-op, a really, really cool thing that our own Claire Friedman helped put together with Max Temkin from Cards Against Humanity. Uh, basically, the co-op helps podcasters like me and lots of other folks in Chicago keep doing what they do while recognizing them for their efforts with some advertising dollars. So Max, Claire, and all the sponsors of the co-op are obviously just wonderful. Uh, let's all be nice to them. Starting with the sponsor from this episode, Max's own Max Essentialism zine. Uh, like it said in the intro, you can subscribe to the zine for only $3 a month at maxessentialism.com. Uh, that is cheaper than most comic books, by the way. And trust me when I say it's better value than almost all of them, too. Uh, guys, diver- uh, digression, what the fuck happened to Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's Batman? It used to be so great, and now it's not great. Anyway, email me if you want to talk about it. Uh, this episode, we're featuring podcasters Patrick O'Rourke, Arnie Niekamp, and Eric Berry, as well as friends of the Nerdlogs, Katie Uki and Shelby Mongan. Uh, I'll be putting links to Patrick, Arnie, and Eric shows up when I post this episode, by the way, so please check them out. I think their stories will inspire you to listen. Anyway, uh, as usual, there's also music here from myself, the aforementioned Claire, and Dwight Hassler. Uh... I also have some other exciting promotional stuff to drop on you. The Nerdalogs just launched their first ever Kickstarter for a game we spent the last 14 months working on. Uh, it's called Fisticuffs, and it is really, really fun. It's it, it's a card game. Uh, I don't really know what... Uh, I can't compare it to any other games. It's, it's just this fast-paced, like, free-for-brawl 1920s boxing game. Uh, we'd love it if you could check out the project and maybe toss us a few bones in support. Uh, you can find links to the thing on our website, which you know is www.nerdalogs.com, uh, as well as on our Facebook page. Uh, guys, at least watch the Kickstarter video. Claire put a lot of work into it, and it's pretty cool. Uh, we, of course, also have the usual bevy of nerd podcasts coming at you this and every week, like Talking Games on Tuesday and MBSing with Mary Beth Smith on Wednesday. Uh, as far as the live shows go, we have a special midweek Your Stories coming up on Wednesday, June 17th, as part of Chicago Design Week. We're teaming up with the Chicago Design Museum to put together a really cool and unique show. Uh, you can get more info about that on our website and Facebook page, too. And uh, finally, I think that's all for the exhausting list of plugs today. Thanks for all your support. And now, the fun part. Uh, so I'm probably pooching what album this is, but but Clickhole just did uh, a piece about the history of this album, and I don't think that anyone could state its concept better than what was said in the Clickhole article. So let me go ahead and find that here. All right, Ed O'Brien of Radiohead says, "Well, it's a fascinating what if, isn't it? What if a computer could play guitar? I still think about it sometimes." <laughs> 
Tom York says, I came up with the title of the album on the spot. It's the moment when you give a computer a guitar and say, okay, computer, let's see what you got. Show us your stuff. So we all know what album it is, but that's a good fucking bit. What if a computer could play guitar? Let's find out. party for Dwight's 30th birthday. And, and at this party, I solicited the, uh, the opinion of someone who listened to the podcast and then later met us, because I was curious, what would people think of Dwight if they didn't actually know him, like if they hadn't seen him and just heard his voice? And so Alex Cox, who works here, said, I think probably the both least and most awesome, like most true thing about Dwight, which is he is a, a hipster diva who's only doing the nerds a favor. <laughs> It's partially true. <laughs> so here's the thing about this album. I feel like I had to fight people when this album came out to convince them it was awesome. And I think time has has made me correct on this uh, in public opinion. So this is an album about a cancer patient who dies and relives his life through song. Like correct. Your aspirations to shreds 
like a perfect mix of like Pink Floyd Meatloaf Queen and Alice Cooper it's so good guys it's so good this has been my PSA for the night let's do some more stories starting with from Making New Friends Patrick O'Rourke thanks guys that was awesome and for real teenagers are really fucking scary I mean they got their yik yak they got, they got their Snapchat, their fucking optimism. <laughs> Teenagers are really scary. No, uh, so uh, I began listening to podcasts in 2008, and I love them. Like, I really, really love them. I feel like they're the best way to learn new things, gain new perspective on the world. And through podcasts, I've learned, I've learned that no one is cooler than Tom Hanks. Especially that appearance on the Nerdist, right? Oh, man. No, that guy's got nothing to prove, and he's got no one to prove it to. I learned how to deal with creative disappointment after hearing Kevin Smith cry over the reception of Zach and Mary make a porno. It's true. It should be required listening for anybody who does anything creative. I've also learned that no one... Reads a quote like Dan Carlin from Hardcore History. <laughs> quote! That might have been fine in the age of sale, but we live in the age of steam now. End quote. <laughs> right? Dan Carlin. I discovered that Adon probably did it, but maybe not. I don't know. Something weird happened. <laughs> I've learned to avoid Adam Carolla. <laughs> and never be anything like Joe Rogan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I finally went to stamps.com. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what? I still don't use stamps. <laughs> so I closed the window and wrote an email. Uh, <laughs> Josh Clark and Charles W. Chuck Chuckers Bryant from the Stuff You Should Know podcast taught me about spam, amnesia, moonwalks, on the moon, not by Michael Jackson, wildfires, reincarnation, human starting earthquakes, zoos, Mesopotamia, smart mobs, Nazi war criminals, propaganda, Hypermilling, zombies, witness protection, totem poles, hell's angels, ninjas, SWAT teams, cremation, mirrors, swords, sea monsters, leper colonies, boomerangs, perfume, ice cream, moonwalks, by Michael Jackson, not on the moon, sharks, shark attacks, Shark babies and acid rain. Stuff you should know. <laughs> uh, the 18th century guy, Peter 
Agno has the best backstories. Can't say his last name still. 19th century guy has the most forgettable name. And I think that 20th century guy is actually the boss of the whole organization. Backstory for any backstory fans. Uh, yep. Scott, yeah. Still a great show. Uh, Scott Ackerman and Ira Glass are really the same person. <laughs> but one can only tell the truth, and the other can only tell a lie. <laughs> and, of course, Reggie Watts is always in the room, even if he's not talking. <laughs> I, myself, I'm a podcaster, and it's been fun. It's been hard, it's been rewarding, and at times fulfilling. While creating podcasts, I've learned, well, that my dog is the loudest creature on the planet. (laughs) And that my wife, Lauren, is the most patient. I've learned that podcast podcast fans are like leprechauns. If you ever catch one, hold on tight, because they are worth their weight in gold. I've learned that sometimes I repeat things over and over again. I've learned that the worst part of editing is that you can experience your mistakes over and over again. I learned that to be good at something, you need to do it and fail over and over again. And finally, I have learned that sometimes I repeat things (laughs) over and over again. You know, honestly, I don't know what my life would be today if I didn't start podcasting. It has influenced my career, my relationships, and just about every day of my life. I was lucky enough to start podcasting when no one was listening, and I was able to make a bunch of mistakes. Now, a few people check out our stuff, and I really couldn't be more proud. Podcasting has taught me so much, and now I don't need to read books. (laughs) Because... What's the point? It's just a fucking book. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Yeah, fuck literacy. Unless that book is, uh, Field Notes doesn't publish books. They publish things you can write in. That's way better than a book. Shop Field Notes, guys. One of the Chicago Podcast Co-op sponsors. All right, guys. Uh, our, our next speaker, another newcomer to your stories. This is Katie Utke. Did I say that right? Close? Was that close? Utke. It's okay. Only like four people have ever gotten it right. <laughs> hey guys. Uh, so my story is on my phone. Um, I promise that I'm not just looking at cat pictures the whole time. <laughs> All right. So this took place last year at C2E2. Uh, it was my senior year of college, and it was my last weekend before I started at my first job, the glorious, glorious job of telemarketing. Uh, which, in retrospect, was not a very good idea. <laughs> uh, that This C2E2 uh, became my last hurrah before I would, you know, start to become an adult. Like, a full-on adult! Adulting all over the place! Uh, little did I know that becoming an adult would include things as awful as getting laid off from my job and things as awesome as just lounging around in my underwear eating coffee, ice cream, and binging Jim and the holograms on Netflix when there's nothing else to do. Uh, but I digress. Back to C2E2. Uh, I went to the genre feminism panel uh, midday Saturday. Uh, during the Q&A section, uh, one of the con attendees stood up. Uh, it was her first con, and she and her friend of hers were hanging around on the show floor. Uh, while they were in one of the crowd, uh, they turned around to see some random strangers taking upskirt pictures of them. Uh, when the strangers saw that they had been caught, uh, they took off. Uh, she said that she wasn't sure what to do and that her first con experience had been ruined. Now, my heart broke when I heard this. Uh, to put this into context, my first time at any con was C2E2 two years prior, my sophomore year of college. Uh, I had just gotten out of a mentally abusive relationship. Uh, walking around in my Kaylee cosplay, taking pictures of people, and then discussing the intricacies of My Little Pony Friendship is Magic with random strangers while waiting in line for John Barrowman's autograph literally jump-started uh, my path to self-recovery because it was the first time since getting out of that relationship that I had felt validation and acceptance for who I was. So to see the thing that basically built me back up, uh, tear somebody else down. 
wrecked me. Uh, so the next day, at the end of the day on Sunday, uh, I went to the C2E2 staff Q&A panel uh, where, you know, staff members of the con uh, talk with con attendees about what worked and what didn't and what they can improve in the future. Uh, I knew C2E2 had an anti-harassment policy, uh, but it was hard to find online. Uh, it was in a small part of the booklet, which I didn't even grab that year because I didn't know you were supposed to. And uh, it was absent on the mobile app. Uh, if you were new, you wouldn't know to seek it out. Uh, so I suggested putting up posters around the con uh, for people to see so it details what counts as harassment and where people can turn to if they get harassed. Uh, the staff said it was a good idea. Uh, I got my free hat, and I went on my way to panic about becoming an adult. <laughs> so uh, for those of you who are unaware, C2E2 is owned by ReadPop. Uh, which also runs uh, New York City Comic Con, Star Wars Celebration, and a couple other cons, both in the United States and nationally. Uh, later that October, the Mary Sue and other various geek sources of news were praising New York City Comic Con for their cosplay is not consent posters that they had set up around the con. Uh, Star Wars Celebration had those posters up too, and those of you who were at C2E2 this past year probably saw the posters as well. Uh, one of my friends who works as a crew dispatcher both at uh, C2E2 and at New York City Comic Con said that the posters themselves, she could feel like a change in the atmosphere and that people had felt safer. Uh, so I didn't eradicate sexism and geekdom, uh, <laughs> but I like to think that I helped. Uh, so moral of the story, don't be afraid to speak up. People will listen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. You guys, you heard it here first. Sexism and geekdom is over. It's cured. <laughs> oh, oh boy. All right, guys. Our next speaker. Uh, boy, we haven't seen her in a while. It's really cool that she's back. Uh, another Your Stories All-Star. Uh, in town for the weekend from Columbus, Ohio. Not Columbus. Dayton, Ohio. This is Shelby Mongan. Shut up, Dwight. No one cares. Woman. <laughs> yeah, it was nice to him once, and it was a terrible idea. So, I guess accidentally, this theme of sound ideas has become a theme of sound ideas that failed. And I'm going to keep that going. <laughs> um, so, I don't know a lot of you. This is a really weird experience. Um, I've spent a lot of time telling stories through your stories, and this is a whole new crop of people. And it's really exciting to see all of you. So, I figured I would introduce myself. My name is Shelby, and I'm a huge failure. You can applaud failure, that's fine. Um, so let me back up and explain a little bit of what I failed at miserably. So I went to undergrad here in Chicago and discovered the Nerdalogs and your stories and found this beautiful community. And two years ago, I had to leave that community to start my master's degree in Ohio, um, where I have been living. And I was set on a very particular path. I was going to spend the two years on my master's degree. I was going to apply to PhD programs immediately afterwards. I'd spend the five years in that program, and then I'd get right out and get, you know, probably a mid-level job teaching, maybe adjuncting for a little while, and then move to tenure track and be a professor and live my dream. I was very excited about this idea. And it was sort of par for the course for the way that my life had gone so far. I had been sort of assured as an intelligent only child for my entire life that I was very special and that I deserved everything that I wanted and that I was going to get it. And so when this plan came to me, when I realized that I loved academia, I loved teaching, I loved what I was studying, it made complete sense. And I also work, uh, I do work in theology, and it's a field that unfortunately there aren't a ton of women. There aren't a ton of smart women. And so there's this like, feeling this weight, this obligation, that as an intelligent woman, I need to keep going. And then there's the obligation of being, you know, the gifted and talented kid and being the one that doesn't want to fail, all the expectations leading up to that. And then, of course, there's being a super hard-on-yourself neurotic type A person. All of this compounded together meant that when my PhD applications rolled around, I was miserable. 
I remember multiple nights spent sobbing at the idea of having to fill out those applications and write those letters on top of writing my thesis and student teaching a class and doing all this work. The idea was just not worth it. But I could not do it, right? Like, that was my plan. I was failing at my plan. I had to do these applications. And I very clearly remember the night that I called my mom um, and first officially admitted to myself that I wasn't happy and that I wasn't doing the thing I was supposed to be doing. And I sobbed that night too. But that night it was tears of joy and relief. I could breathe again. I didn't realize that I had a boulder on my chest for the last year and a half and that I was dying under that boulder. I was doing the thing that I loved and I was so, so miserable. So I quit. Now, not technically, I will have my master's degree by the end of this. I didn't waste the two years. Um, I'm finishing classes up now, and I went from a solid plan for, like, about a 10-year plan to, I don't know what I'm doing in August, which is a huge change to make as a person. And I'm not good at that kind of change. I'm not good at not knowing what I'm going to do. And it was really scary at first. But I realized that as sound of an idea as grad school was and as my PhD was and as teaching and sharing the love that I have with other people and helping them to learn and cultivate love, that it's okay if that plan doesn't quite work out. So um, this is, I mean, maybe a, an emphasis or a cautionary tale or a, that little shove that you were looking for in all the fortune cookies you opened in your sad Chinese food, that if you are stuck on a path and a plan that is killing you, just stop. It's not worth it. And take a leap off a cliff. And, hey, maybe you can work with me at Trader Joe's in August. <laughs> Who knows? Thank you, guys. It's great to be Thank you, Shelby. Wonderful to have you back. I want to say, so Shelby and Charlie both did something very important that um, you newbies need to learn, which is you say the name, you say the theme of the episode in your story, guys. You say sound idea when you're talking about sound idea. And you point to the sky. There's, there's not a lot of rules, but God damn it, please respect the house rules. House rules, also a theme, once upon a time. Okay, guys, we have two more stories uh, left. Next, from the Hello from the Magic Cavern podcast, Arnie Niekamp. Hi, I'm Arnie. Uh, I'm the host of the Hello from the Magic Tavern podcast. Uh, But I'm actually going to talk about my day job instead uh, on the theme of sound ideas. Uh, Growing up, I sort of consumed mass quantities of pop culture and television sort of indiscriminately, both good and bad, and sort of enjoying them both uh, equally. Uh, And if I was being honest with myself, I kind of considered the characters on these shows my family, uh, as maybe a lot of kids did. And if, say, you consider the characters on Family Ties your family, it's because of the great universal writing of that show and the very talented performances. But if you consider the characters on, say, Growing Pains, your family, it just means you watch too much TV. (laughs) Uh, By the time, though, I got into high school, there were two things that sort of triggered an an epiphany in me. Um, And those were the show Mystery Science Theater 3000 uh, and uh, the funny trivia computer game, You Know Jack. And the the things that I loved about those two things were they were very smart, uh, they were very uh, pop culture referential, and they were full of jokes. So many jokes. Too many jokes. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so like a decade later, life took me many different directions, and I ended up being a writer for You Don't Know Jack. Uh, which was very exciting. Um, if you don't know, you don't know Jack. It was sort of big in the 90s, and it's still around now. Uh, <laughs> uh, the basic premise is it was uh, trivia questions where a pop culture thing would be combined with a high culture thing. So there'd be a question like, um, what serial mascot is most like Sisyphus? Um, 
And so I was very excited to be writing these questions now. I was like, I wrote a question about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I wrote a question about Battlestar Galactica. I wrote a question about how many sphincters are in your anus. Uh, they, they're not all pop culture questions. Uh, but quickly, I started to realize the thing that I thought was the coolest about it when I was a kid was the thing that was hardest about actually doing it was the fact that I had to write a lot of jokes. So many jokes. Too many jokes. Um, just to give you an example of sort of how uh, you know how Jack works, each question has like multiple jokes in it. So, so for a, say I did a question about um, piranhas killing SpongeBob SquarePants and all of his friends. So the, the question would have to have a category joke, first of all, that you would see at the beginning. So the, I'd have to write a joke for that, usually a pun, like six feet under the sea. Uh, and then there would be the question, if vicious piranhas attacked and killed SpongeBob SquarePants and all his friends in Bikini Bottom, who would actually bleed blood? So you'd have to know a pop culture thing and a science thing. So then there would be, then there are the options for the answers. SpongeBob SquarePants, Patrick Starr, Squidward, or the Flying Dutchman. Now, I would have to write a joke for every wrong answer as well as a joke at the very end of the thing. So does anybody know what the answer, any guesses? The Flying Dutchman. The Flying Dutchman is wrong. And the joke you would get <laughs> would be uh, the host in a ghost fight voice saying, he's a ghost. Ghosts don't have bodies. And the point of this is that not all these jokes are great. <laughs> uh, and so the correct answer is uh, Squidward, and it would say... Uh, Sponges, starfish, and ghosts don't have blood, but squids and octopuses do. And then the joke at the very end, man, that kind of massacre would be terrible. There's nothing worse than a bloody bikini bottom. Uh, Again. (laughs) Again, not all these jokes are great. So over the course of six or seven years, I wrote thousands of questions and, uh, you know, and Dozens of thousands of jokes, and it got hard. And on good days, it was great, and on bad days, it was bad. And then I had sort of another epiphany. I was watching people play the game, and uh, it's a party game, so a lot of times people don't even really hear the jokes. But every once in a while, there'd be a sound effect, and people would laugh. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes there'd be a great joke that I'd labored on, and sometimes people would laugh. And then other times, there would be a duck sound effect, and everybody would laugh. <laughs> And I realized I would never write a joke that was funnier than a duck sound <laughs> And this is the kind of thing that would maybe send a person into an existential crisis, you know, like, uh, and try to fight it, you know, like a John Henry story, the comedy writer versus the duck sound effect. Um, but I decided to go the other way and to embrace it. And to make my life a little easier. So when I was having trouble writing a good joke, I would incorporate a sound effect instead. And so uh, I would write uh, sound effects for our very talented uh, audio engineer to make. Uh, and so I would, I would write these more and more often. And then it kind of started to seem funny to me that he had to figure out how to do them. So I started writing more complicated and weird sound effects just to see if he could do it. Uh, And so uh, when I got married a few years back, he gave me a list of some of these sound effects that I made him have to do. So here are some of the sound effects that he had to spend an insane amount of time trying to figure out. Uh, Eagle claw and then poop sound. Angry elephant trumpet, then big poop sound. Sort of a theme here. Uh, parrot vomiting. Sheep, sheep ba, then gunshot, then thump of sheep hitting ground. Nunchuck sound interspersed with painful sounding bonks. Uh, eagle shooting lasers out of eyes. Uh, a voice that sounds as much like a stomach rumbling as possible, sad pig squeal, uh, helicopter moo sound crash sound, uh, dolphin squeals, then 70s porn music, uh, 
sheep buying positively question mark um, these are kind of the most dickish ones of me uh, also there's uh, pretty bird sounds then a loud jet sound and somehow getting across that the jet kills the birds question mark and I think what I'm meaning with this question mark is like uh, you figure it out <laughs> and here's the thing and it took me a long time to e- realize this as well just how big of a jerk I was being so now say in any game of you don't know Jack maybe at most I would have written a third of the questions he had to do the sound effects and music for every question a process that is much more time intensive than me writing dumb little jokes uh, so he would have to do all of these things uh Let's see here. Uh, real quick snippet of Opry-style country song where the singer sings, Everybody died and my wife ran off and I got this easy question wrong. <laughs> so he would have to come up with music, bring in a singer to sing that music, and this was for a wrong answer. <laughs> Almost nobody would ever hear this. <laughs> Uh, background sound of a sort of regal meow. Uh, baby, <laughs> uh, baby laugh, then lots of beeps to suggest massive swearing. <laughs> Gunfire and a plane flying by interspersed with cute Animal Crossing-esque animal gibberish talk, maybe even an animal singing a cute gibberish song, explosions. <laughs> Two boob honks and a poop sound. (laughs) Quizzical and or disappointed sounding cat meow. Uh, Violin, trumpet, guitar, and bongo blasting out noise and mariachi singer yelling ominous things in Spanish. That was, I think, for some kind of uh, mariachi death metal band. Uh, And then one question had these series of sound effects. Fart noise... Funnier fart noise. Funniest fart noise. (laughs) Uh, So one final digression uh, before I sort of close this out. For that, I was curious about the fart noise, funnier fart fart noise, funniest fart noise. I was like, what even question was that? So I went into our tool that we write our questions into and searched it out. The question, by the way, is if I'm playing a game of Mad Libs and it asks for a noun, a verb, and an adjective in that order, what could I not use? Fart, fart, farty, farts, farts, farty, fart, farted, fart, farted, farts, farty. And I also saw that question was not approved to be put into the game. (laughs) So uh, the most important thing I learned is that I can try to come up with as funny a thing to end it as possible, but it's never going to be better than a sound effect. So I'm going to end with a sound effect, and I'm going to let you guys choose from three sound effects. Would you rather hear eagle shooting lasers out of its eyes, uh, Opry singer singing about the wrong answer, or uh, death metal mariachi band? Death metal mariachi band. I think you picked the right one. Uh, can we hear death metal mariachi band? One, two, Thank you so much. And you, thank you. Guys, we have one more story tonight. Thanks for sticking around. From Full Disclosure Podcast, this is Eric Berry. Give a go for your host, Eric, everybody. All the Cards Against Humanity team here. Your stories, how you guys doing tonight? Yeah. Uh, so I, I do, I host a, po- a podcast called Full Disclosure. It's a sex positive podcast, and we deal with things like uh, interviewing sex workers and BDSM demos, vibrator reviews, all sorts of fun things like that. Uh, and people are like, well, what makes you the authority on talking about sex and dating and all that? Um, and the answer is a sound idea that I had. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> um, years ago. So uh, I've... Sucked dick for money. <laughs> Was that like a like a, a woo like we we support you or a woo like we've been there 
we're on team. Okay. Just, okay. Okay. Either way, no judgment, guys. No judgment. Um, but uh, yeah, so I've, I've, I've sucked dick for money. Um, I should point out that uh, I'm not gay. And so you might be asking yourself, well, how is it that someone who's straight ends up uh, getting paid for gay sex? And the answer is, if you're a straight man, you tell yourself that you're going to get paid for having sex with women. And then you realize that women don't pay for sex, and you change your business model. A lot of people... A lot of people have a hard time wrapping their mind around uh, a straight guy um, sucking a dick. <laughs> but the thing is, like, if you've ever cooked a great steak, that doesn't make you a chef, you know? Right? <laughs> like, now, to be fair, if we're going to keep going with this metaphor... I've cooked hundreds of great steaks, okay? Like, you women in the audience, you think you know how to cook a steak. You have no idea how to cook a steak, okay? Um, so, how did, this, how did this all happen? Um, like any good story, I was, uh, I was 18, and my parents had just gotten a divorce, and my mom was just left in, like, financial ruin. And I was going to enter as a freshman into UC Berkeley, um, and I had no way to pay for college. My mom didn't have any money, and my dad's a dick. And so I was left with, you know, I had to figure out how to do this. So I ended up working retail, and uh, I was working at The Gap for $8 an hour. And it's just, it's just fucking awful. We would get these, like, overnight shipments of, of clothes and cardigans and all that stuff. We had to, you know, fold it and put it away. Um, so I was... Uh, Working one night, and I was on the ground um, folding, like, denim capris or something like that. And I thought, there's got to be a better way to make money on my knees here. <laughs> and so I, uh, the next day, I, I went to my male sexuality class I was taking at Berkeley um, because it's Berkeley, and, of course, that's a thing. And uh, I asked them, I said, does anybody know anything about becoming an escort? And one of them said, yeah, there's a section... On Craigslist, it's now defunct, but it was called Erotic Services. And so, you know, I go home. And uh, I, I look into the Erotic Services section, and I make a posting. And they had advised me in the class, like, to keep my options open, I should probably post in, like, the man for men and women. So I make the posting, and this is the headline. Uh, Just turned 18, <laughs> UC Berkeley freshman... Former football player, never been with a man. Now, if you had told me that it was possible to exceed your Gmail inbox's capacity, I wouldn't have believed you either. But apparently men on the internet like to introduce themselves by putting their best foot forward... And apparently, their best foot is a high-resolution shot of their penis. And I don't know why you need, like, a 10-megapixel shot of your junk. I don't know what I'm supposed... Like, even if I had a printer, like, the first 10 pages just would have looked like color swatches, like if I was painting my room, like some pink shampoo. I don't know what, why that has to be a thing. Um, but so, I, I, I look at one ad or one response, and it's a married couple, and the wife had contacted me, and they were looking for a nude massage. And I thought, this would be a nice, comfortable way to kind of dip my toes into the, the kiddie pool of prostitution, if you will. <laughs> so I respond, and she says, you know, uh, yeah, we would love for you to come over. Uh, they live in San Francisco. I'm in Berkeley. Um, and we'll pay you $200 an hour. And I'm like, I have definitely made the right life decision. <laughs> and so I have to, this is like a month into college. I have to go and like tell all my new, you know, like the, the, the sweet mates, because I was afraid, you know, I might get murdered, you know, the trivial details. And so I go and I tell them like, hey, um, I'm going to go do this thing where I'm going to get paid to get naked with people. And 
we were all just new and freshmen, and they were like, oh, you guys, this must be what college is all about. Like, we're adults now. Yeah, cool, Eric. Hand me the, the Easy Mac. And, like, so uh, that was my safety net. And so I go, I get on, uh, on BART, and I take BART from, from Berkeley to San Francisco. And I get out, and the husband comes to pick me up. And so I get into the car, and I'm just terrified. I'm, I'm nervous as all hell. And I'm pretending that, like, I've done this nude massage thing before. Like, I don't want him to know it's my first time. Like, you know, like, I took, like, AP nude massage in high school or something. I just tested out of that. And uh, so we go, and we get to the apartment, and we walk in. And that is the moment that he says to me, Oh, by the way, the babysitter canceled, so my wife is with the kids. And I'm like, fuck, like, was there ever even a wife to begin with? But then the other part of me is like, I mean, good on them for not, like, having the kids at the apartment, you know, all that was happening. So uh, we go into the living room, and there is uh, a futon on the ground, and I don't know if he's, like, prepped that an hour before, if, like, that's just the permanent residence of that futon. I don't know what happens in this apartment on the regular, but um, he asks me to undress, and I do, and he starts to undress, and and um, I've never seen, like, a, like a naked man before. Um, oh, I should point out, I was also a virgin at this point. Um, so... He starts to undress, and there's a difference. When you're 18, you have a, a boy's body. There's a difference between, like, like a, a, a smooth 18-year-old boy's body and, like, this guy's in his late 30s. Like, just kind of like a, a weathered, you know, seeing some... Like, I don't know where that line between boy and man body begins, but as soon as, like, your chest hair connects with your facial hair... When that ceases to be, like, that's a safe time to uh, uh, think that you've arrived. And so, um, so I, I don't know how to give him a saw. Like, like I'm fucking, you know, so I, I start to touch him. <laughs> and um, it's not actually that weird. It's as weird as spending two hours as an 18-year-old massaging like a 38-year-old could be. But nothing really more than that happened. So I'm like, great, that was two hours, 200, that's 400 bucks right there. That's amazing. That's awesome. You know, we're done with that. Great. So I go, I put my clothes on and I'm standing by the doorway and he uh, takes out his wallet and he starts pulling out 20s and it's one, two, three, four, five. And I'm like, uh, it was 200 an hour. That should be $400. That's $100. He's like, oh, my wife didn't tell me that. And I'm like, okay, well, that was what she told me in this email exchange with your wife. And he's like, that's all the cash I have. I'm just like, fuck. And he sees the look on my face. He's like, hold on. I think I have something. And he runs back to his bedroom. He comes back out. 100% 100% true. He hands me three $5 coupons to In-N-Out. <laughs> now, am, am I proud that I just spent the last two hours rubbing down a naked man for $15 in In-N-Out coupons? No. But if you don't think I knew exactly where I was eating that night, you are wrong. Thank you guys so much. My name is Eric Craig. Thank you, Eric. Holy shit. And that was our final story of the night, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, so I really like this song that we're going to be closing with here. It was Claire's idea, but uh, it really speaks to like this kind of... You know, if you were at the podcast meeting earlier, everyone kind of talked about how we're in this together, and uh, I think this is a nice song that illustrates that. Do you want to say anything about it? Uh, yeah, I hated this song when I first heard it. Um, and then uh, I, it, a few years passed, and I heard it again, and I was like, what? What? This song is amazing. Like, what? I was an idiot child. <laughs> the edge. Yeah. <laughs> 
so this is from an album. Uh, the concept is fairly loose, although it's one of the first concept albums. It's, uh, it is a band decides to be another band and record an album as that band. Of course that is... Sergeant Peppers. Yeah. www.nerdalogs.com Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.